Welcome to the RSCC podcast. We're so thankful that you're joining us today. Here at Rising Sun Church of Christ, we exist to know, love, and serve Jesus. If you would like to receive more information about RSCC, we would love to hear from you through our social medias at RSCC Family or through email at info at rsccfamily.org. Thanks for tuning in to the RSCC podcast, and we hope the message blesses you today. Well, good morning. Hey, I want to tell you first, uh, I'm really excited about the board that we have now. There's so much unity in where we're headed. We're all aligned and running for the same goals, and I'm, I'm so excited about what they have committed to. Because they've committed to much more than just making the logistical or financial decisions of the church, but they are committed to shepherding the flock, which is what their role is. And I just can't tell you how excited I am about 2024. And also, I want to I say a special welcome to some people who are joining us online. We've been at the waters going there pretty regularly in Rising Sun, but now we've also added Ridgewood Nursing Home to the rotation, and we're going there. We're, we're live there today. I'm so gl- glad that we're able to do that, and there's a lot more coming with that, too. We're going to continue to expand these things, and I want to also welcome, we've had so many people let me know that they're able to join online when they're sick or out of town, and we have people joining us through our online experience regularly, and I'm so thankful we get to do that because our impact is just widening, and people are hearing about the truth of Jesus, and it is a good, good thing. But today, we're going to continue in this Exodus series by looking at what happened after the Israelites are released from slavery. If you remember last week, they were released after all the plagues. Pharaoh tells them to leave, and then they're running into the desert. And when we read this story, we can often read it and see their failure over and over again, where they worship idols, they deny God, they get impatient, and we'll read it and go, well, how on earth could they do that? But instead of removing ourselves from the narrative and thinking, how could they? What we should do is pay attention. In 1 Corinthians 10, this is exactly what Paul does when he's writing this letter. He looks back at Israel's history and he outlines everything that happened in Exodus and then he uses it as a warning. He summarizes all the things and then in, verse, in chapter 10, verse 11, he says, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. And so this is what we're going to do today. We're going to look at this moment in Exodus and learn from their mistakes because it has a lot to teach us. You know, we often think of idols as these statues or something we create that maybe you stick up on a pedestal and people pray to it or worship to it. That's what we always think when we think of idols. But in reality, an idol is usually something good that has taken the place of God in our day-to-day life. It's something that we run to for comfort or hope or escape or fulfillment. And if that thing that we run to for, for comfort, escape, fulfillment, or hope, if it isn't the Lord, then it's an idol. And God is a jealous God who will not be mocked and he will not share glory. So when we look at our priorities and what we pursue, we have to ask, 
Is it for God's glory or our own? Will you pray with me? Father, I am so thankful that Scripture gives us clear examples of who you call us to be, of what it looks like to fail, but also what it looks like when you redeem us and you make us new. And God, I pray this morning that you would pour through me the gift of preaching, that you would speak clearly. That as we examine the story, you would show us the eternal truth that changes us now. Help us come to you with completely open hearts, ready to run after you with all we have. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you were to separate Exodus into chapters or like a story, act one of Exodus would go something like this. If I were to summarize it, it would go, God shows Israel his glory, but they run to idols. It happens over and over again. So, and it's going to happen again. So the Israelites have been released from slavery. They have gathered all their people and as many things as they can carry, and they're making their way into the desert. Now remember, they've already seen God's glory on display. I mean, the ten plagues made it very clear that God is all-powerful. And now they are going to follow God's call to go into the desert. And on the way, the Pharaoh has regret. He sends his army to go get the Israelites back. And now nearly a million people are trapped between the Red Sea and the army of Egypt. Yes, that is terrifying. But what I find so shocking in this moment is how quickly the people forget what God has already done. If you remember week one, I said that fear makes you forget, that fear leads to forgetting. That's exactly what happens. After all the miraculous things they just saw, this is their response when they see the army coming. In chapter 14, verse 11, they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? I mean, to be fair, okay, the Israelites were in no way prepared to fight They'd been slaves for 400 years. They had all their possessions in their hands. But again, I'm just so shocked how quickly they forget that God is their protector, that he's always providing a way, but Moses reminds them. Verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Isn't that great? The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Maybe you need to hear that today. If you hear nothing else I say, hear that. The Lord will fight for you. Whatever battle you're facing, he is fighting for you. And we fight our battles by surrendering to Jesus. And in our surrender, he is faithful every time. And he's faithful here. Moses stretches out his hands and God parts the Red Sea. The Israelites walk across on dry land and the army of Pharaoh pursues into the sea. But once all the Israelites are across, God releases the sea and the army is destroyed. Could you imagine seeing that? 
I mean, picture it. You're walking on a dry seabed with a mountain of water next to you, miraculously being held up by God. Imagine seeing that same sea released, and it destroys this mighty army in seconds. They saw the glory of God right in front of them. And just so we understand the timeline of events, because it is really important. When they crossed the Red Sea, this moment right here, it's been 25 days since they left Egypt. I point that out because just in 25 days, the people forgot the power of God and were worried that he wouldn't deliver them. Just 25 days. But God shows his power, he splits the sea, and he delivers them. So now Egypt is behind them. It's all done, they have escaped, and they're going to walk through the desert for 22 more days until they come to Mount Sinai. And within that 22 days, they start to doubt again. Chapter 16, verse 2, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. <sighs> right? I mean, come on. Do they not get it? God has provided for them every step of the way, and they still want to run back to Egypt and into slavery. I mean, how? But again, God is faithful. And he shows his ability to protect them. Verse 4, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. And he does. Every day, bread just shows up on the ground for them to eat. And they can even get water from the rocks. They just hit the rocks and water comes out. He's miraculously providing food and water for them every single day. And a little side note just for me, because I think it's funny. Uh, they called the bread manna, right? We all know manna from heaven, but do you know what it means? Manna literally translated means, what is it? Isn't that hilarious? They looked at this stuff and said, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to eat it. And they, they were so confused, it literally has the name, what is it? And that also tells you something about the Israelites, that while they could be fickle and they wouldn't trust God and they would complain, when he provided, they were faithful, they were faithful to the degree that they even ate something that they literally called, what is it? But finally, finally they make camp at the foot of Mount Sinai. And here's the craziest part of the story to me. God tells Moses that he's going to descend on the mountain in a dense cloud so that the people can see his presence and hear him talking. He's going to reveal himself to all the people. And this is what it was like. Chapter 19, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Isn't that amazing? They all saw it. They all heard it. Some details that are really important. 
Moses is about to go up the mountain and talk to God to receive the Ten Commandments. God instructs him to bring Aaron, his helper, up the mountain with him. But everyone else has to stay at the foot of Mount Sinai. God is going to give him the Ten Commandments, but he's also going to give him all the customs and practices that he expects from his people. He's going to teach Moses how he wants them to live. And this is where things get all messed up. Aaron goes up the mountain with Moses. That means he has been in the presence of God. He has heard God's voice. At some point while Moses is receiving the law, Aaron comes back down and then we get to Exodus chapter 32. Now remember, the presence of God is on the mountain in a cloud. The people are camped at the foot of the mountain and can see God's presence. They can hear the rumblings of his voice as he talks to Moses. They are literally camped in the shadow of God's glory. Exodus 32 verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Wait, what? I mean, if you're curious, it's been less than 40 days since Moses went up the mountain. And that's not even that important because they can see and hear everything. They know what's happening. They know he's up there talking to him. Yet they still ask for Aaron to make them gods to worship. They're literally standing in the presence of God and, to, and desiring to worship other gods. What? But it gets worse. Verse 2, Aaron answered, Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they had handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf. Fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. How on earth could they keep doing it? I mean, they just keep forgetting. And Aaron, Aaron went up the mountain. He stood in the presence of God, and then he came down and made a false idol with his own hands. I read this, and I'm just absolutely blown away that they would do that. I read an article this week from my favorite pastor and leader in the country. His name's Bob Russell. Maybe you've heard of him. He did ministry in Louisville for 40 years at a great church, made massive influence, and he's known as a great communicator, a great leader, and he's an enormous Louisville Cardinals fan. Okay, season tickets to the football games, goes to all the basketball games. He's a huge fan. And in this article, he was addressing the reality that we worship idols. He was at a gathering of pastors, and they were discussing this question. The question was, what is the primary idol that needs to be torn down for revival to take place in Kentucky? And this was a gathering of pastors from all over the state, and they were discussing what is the idol? What's the thing that needs to be torn down so that we can experience revival in our state? And the unanimous answer from all these pastors in attendance 
was this? It was sports. And he writes, these are Bob's words. Surprised? Think about it. The first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. A false god is anyone or anything that becomes more important to us than God himself. Our God is whatever we love with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. That means a false god doesn't have to be evil in itself. It can be something good that has become too important to us. Take note of how many people's consuming passion is their favorite athletic team. They proudly wear the team colors and logo. They paste their team's name on bumper stickers and brag about their team's accomplishments, all at the risk of alienating fans of rival teams. But the same people are reluctant to ever share their faith in Christ, lest someone be offended. They memorize statistics and hunger for more inside information about their favorite players to the point of idolizing them, but they get bored studying the Bible. It used to be that we worried about losing our kids to sex, drugs, and alcohol when they went off to college. Now we lose them at, much young, at a much younger age to traveling sports teams. Sorry, preacher. We won't be in church much the next couple of months. Our son plays on an AAU team, and we're out of town most weekends watching him play. You know, it's, it's difficult when someone points out our idols. And he goes on to point out that it's not the sports. Okay, sports aren't the problem. But it's the elevating of it to a place of worship. And the reality is that we have a culture problem, that we're caught in the middle of a culture war. But the, the problem I see is that we're not doing anything about it. We're not really fighting it. We're just going with it. You know, it used to be that there were no sports and businesses weren't open on Sundays as a way to honor God and give people the ability to go practice their faith on that day. But now the NFL has slogans like, we own Sunday, and everything happens on Sunday. Nothing is closed. Here's the point. It's not just sports. I mean, it could be money, it could be possessions, it could be experiences, it could be any number of things, but it's any pursuit or goal in life that takes us away from what should be our first pursuit, which is Jesus. In his book, God's at War, Kyle Eidelman says it this way. He says, a God is what we sacrifice for and what we pursue. We are so quick to sacrifice for earthly pursuits, but are we willing to sacrifice for our pursuit of Jesus? I mean, if a game falls on Sunday, we're quick to give up church for it, but would we be willing to sacrifice the game for church? We're so quick to sacrifice church for a money-making opportunity in our job, but would we be willing to sacrifice that money to honor God with our worship? Are we willing to sacrifice the things that are keeping us out of his house on Sunday and out of his word during the week? Are we willing to sacrifice the things that are clouding our minds and preventing us from talking to Jesus in prayer? Are we willing to make sure that the good things stay good things and don't become God's? Just like Israel, God shows us his glory, but we run to our idols for comfort and hope and meaning. Instead of running to him. And we don't just do it personally or individually, which we do. Every one of us, we, we all worship idols in some fashion. But we also do it collectively as the church. And we do it with things that are 
church traditions. And traditions are a good thing. I love traditions. I do, but they can be elevated to a place they don't belong. In church leadership, there's a phrase that you'll often hear. Somebody will ask you. Maybe you've heard it before. But they'll say, what are the sacred cows in your church? And the implication in this question is that there is some tradition or thing in the life of a church that we've elevated to a position of worship and it's become a problem. And I don't know how many of you are connected to churches in the 90s and early 2000s, but if you were, you probably experienced this because almost every church in the country went through it. It was things like switching from hymns to modern music, using instruments instead of just a piano or an organ, changing out the red carpet that it seemed like every church had to something new, moving from pews to seats and on and on and on. So many churches have gone through things like this and it often brings a big fight. It's caused churches to split and it's hurt the kingdom and it's hurt our witness to the community because we're so obviously not unified. We so often make sacred cows or golden calves out of our traditions or out of our facilities or out of our programs. We start to find comfort in or worship the things rather than the Lord. And the reason I point this out is because we have to commit now to not making the same mistake. The sin by Israel of making false gods led to the brutal death of thousands of their own people by their own hand. Read the narrative. It's brutal. It it led to plagues being brought on. It led to them wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and it eventually led to an entire generation of Israelites not being allowed to enter the promised land. My question for you is this. What idols have we made that are preventing us from entering the promised land? We need to do some evaluation. What things individually and as a church are we worshiping that are false idols? Listen, this year we have seen the glory of God on display. Our church has grown by 50%, which is crazy. We've, we've had 27 baptisms in the last 10 months. We've seen the return of many people who hadn't been in church in a long time. God's presence has been clear and the spirit has been moving. We are encamped at the foot of Mount Sinai and the glory is on display right above us. So don't turn away from it and start to make false idols like the Israelites did. Don't get anxious and forget what God has done. Stand firm. Trust what he is doing. Israel worshiped a golden calf in the shadow of God's glory. They started to say that it was the calf that delivered them from Egypt instead of the Lord. Let's not do the same. Every day we have to remember that it has been Jesus who has brought revival to our community. It has been Jesus who has set 27 more people free from their sin. It has been Jesus who has been moving in our midst. It's not me, it's not you, it's not our facilities, it's not our programs. It is Jesus. And our role in that is the unified surrender and trust in Jesus, which shows our community where hope comes from. That's our job. Submit and trust. And I say all of this to you to encourage you, keep going. 
Keep making Jesus the center of your whole life. Keep organizing your priorities so that God stays in the place he belongs. Keep surrendering your life to the will of God and we will keep seeing God do amazing things. Keep trusting him. So here's my challenge for us. Let's dethrone our idols. Let's dethrone them. Here's the part I haven't shared with you yet. When Moses came down the mountain and he saw the people worshiping the golden calf, he did something radical. Chapter 32, verse 19, when Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned. And he threw the tablets out of his hand, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And then he took the calf they had made and burned it in the fire. And he he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. Whoa, right? I never heard that last part in the Sunday school lessons. (laughs) When Moses saw the false idol, he destroyed it. He dethroned it immediately. He didn't let it stay. He knew they couldn't honor God and keep the idol. He had to get rid of it. If we have idols that are stealing glory from God, they have to be destroyed. They have to be dethroned. You can't simply ignore them or try to accommodate them or try to make them fit in with our pursuit of Jesus. The throne of God is not a love seat. He will not share glory. They have to go. Moses burned the golden calf and made the Israelites drink it. He removed all of its power and influence and pointed everyone back to the Lord. We must do the same. Don't let anything in your life rob God of his glory. He's the only one who is worthy. Individually, all of us, we have to dethrone our idols and remove them from the place of worship that they shouldn't be in. Collectively, as the church, we have to do the same. And all of our practices and all of our pursuits and everything that we do, we have to make sure we dethrone our idols. Everything we do is for God's glory alone, and we go where he leads no matter what. Nothing gets in the way of that. And the good news in all of it, the good news in all of this is that God always welcomes us back in with open arms. All throughout Exodus, God reminds the people to reject their idols and trust in him, and when they do, God is faithful to his promises. Every single time. They find favor by following God's law. But for us, we have a beautiful thing in Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus satisfies the requirements of the law so that we can be made holy. We are set free from our sin because of Jesus' death on the cross. We are forgiven when we surrender to Jesus and he invites us now. If you've been worshiping false idols, repent. Destroy them. Recommit yourself to following Jesus alone. And he will change your heart and he will receive you back in with open arms. If you've never made the decision to follow Jesus as Lord of your life in baptism, He invites you now.
to come and boldly declare your dependence on him, destroy your idols, glorify his name because he alone is worthy. Every week, I extend an invitation. If you've never made that choice, I'm doing it again. Come and give your life to Jesus because he alone is worthy. Let's dethrone our idols and elevate the name of Jesus. I'll be sitting down front somewhere. The place is so full. I don't know where. I'll, right there. How about that? I love that. I'll be right here. If you want to come and give your life to Jesus in baptism, come and talk to me during this next song, and we'll celebrate with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the hope we have in Jesus. God, we're so thankful at the way you communicate, that you show us who you are. You show us how to live. You show us how you are gracious and compassionate and forgiving and that you welcome us back every time, no matter how far we run. And so God, I just pray that those of us who have been following you for some time but maybe have lost our way, God, I pray that each of us would repent and recommit to you. And God, I pray for those who are in the room that have never put their trust in you, that you would move their feet, move their heart, move them to action, to live life and surrender to you because you are good and you are worthy. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the RSCC podcast today. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you have any further questions or you just want to know more about what RSCC has going on, you can reach out through our email at info at rsccfamily.org. We would love to see you in person soon. We have services that happen every Sunday at 830 and at 1045, and you're always welcome. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.